Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. With my guest today, Nick Lynch, whose background includes risk mitigation for high-level business, today this is an opinion piece. It is not to be heard as an objective journalism. Any assertions or contentions presented here are for the listener to verify and investigate. These are Nick's own subjective views, openly biased in furtherance of a political agenda. The majority of people in Zimbabwe must vote and determine the direction that they want their wildlife heritage to take. It must be an election issue and debated publicly, with the masses and not a topic, hijacked by a handful of safari operators, either hunting or photographic. You cannot solve the animal problems without first addressing the problems, as the two are inextricably linked. So, welcome back, Nick. Hey, welcome. Hi, Ellie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So um, we have a lot to talk about today, and uh, I'd like our listeners to know that Nick has previously been on this program with a two-part series, and uh, to I urge our listeners to go back and listen to those because uh, it will give you a lot of background to what we're talking about today and what Johnny Rodriguez talked about on our episode last week. So today we're going to pick up where those episodes with Nick left off and where Johnny Rodriguez left off and where we are now today in Zimbabwe. So first question, Nick, why do you say this people of Zimbabwe must vote and determine their future and wildlife heritage? Well, it's a, it, it, it unfortunately falls into a very much political topic, which Robert Mugabe himself has uh, brought to the attention um, of the public. And it's um, probably best to, um, uh, to face the problem head on. And that's certainly, I think, the opinion of uh, uh, opposition movement groups in Zimbabwe. Um, you see, what happened was that uh, consumptive sustainable utilization is the umbrella policy that guides things such as hunting and the abduction of baby elephants, etc. Uh, this policy was adopted from the Rhodesian era and simply carried through into the Zimbabwean era because there was no reason at that particular junction. They just thought, well, that's fine. We'll just carry on running with things as it was. But there has never been any widespread consultation with the, with the masses with regards to how they would like their wildlife heritage to be managed. So there is a 
there's a complete lack of democratic process right there. So straight up, uh, you know, it's one thing for us to sort of shout and moan about animal rights and how cruel we think it is to hunt elephants and lions and all this. But as long as it's actually written into the Zimbabwean law, into its statutes, and that is the way things are run, well, then that's just the law. So what you have to do is you have to change the law. And the law has to be changed by way of election or by referendum. And certainly the uh, the umbrella policy of consumptive sustainable utilization has to be revisited and tweaked uh, in order for the average common man who lives in the bush to not be disenfranchised any longer from his own home territory. Well, and, and you brought up an important point. You know, from the Rhodesian days to now, a lot has changed earthwise. There's a lot more people. There's less wildlife. And we're still living with outdated, outmoded, and let's call it colonial idealism and laws, So, which hasn't yeah. changed under a regime that is a dictatorship. Yeah, so- for sure. I don't, I don't even think, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not even going to sort of think about it in the sense that it was a deliberate uh, ploy of the Rhodesians to suppress the black majority. And this was just the system. It was just the system of colonialism. It was the system of colonialism all over the world. So the idea is you went into a place and subjugated the, the masses and supposedly, you know, civilized them in increased in brackets and, and then uh, forced feed them religion and everything else and, and then turn their habitat into money-making commodified uh, machines. Well, that, that doesn't, that's not in keeping with uh, being culturally sensitive to African needs. And, uh, and certainly it's ridiculous. And if you take the word Africa out of the equation and you simply call it black man land, what you're doing is disenfran- disenfranchising the black man from black man land. And it is his land. It is his home territory. These are the people of the bush come from the bush. You can't just suddenly appear and sort of go, right, we're going to put in pegs and stakes this area. And between that mountain and this river here, that's where we, that's ours now. And you must scratch around in the dirt outside over there and we'll throw you some scraps and we'll call it uh, development and uh, you'll benefit from, uh, from hunting revenue, which doesn't exist because 97% of the money disappears into shiny suits and Mercedes Benzes. So the whole system is, is stuffed and doesn't work properly, and therefore it has to be revisited. The actual umbrella policy of consumptive sustainable utilization must be tweaked to fall in line with the wishes of the majority. And in fact, if this is not met head on and tackled uh, by all concerned in an assertive, affirmative way, then all that will happen is the likes of Robert Mugabe and his henchmen will hijack, and as they are currently doing, this very same topic in order to further the, their own political agenda. Uh, and, and that's it. So it must be addressed one well, way or the other. Let, let's talk about this disenfranchisement for a minute from yep. colonial times to today. Mm-hmm. What is not taking place for black man land, as you call it, the whole of Africa, that there is still widespread deep poverty that, you know, as we talked about with Johnny Rodriguez, there is a lot of money coming into Zimbabwe and other African nations, mostly from Asia, but from a lot of tourist hunting industries, yada, yada. Um, but it's not trickling down. So we, we love to talk about this trickle-down effect or trickle-up effect. Why is today, what, 100, 200 years later, why has it not changed for the average black African, that they are still disenfranchised, that they still don't have power, and that they still lack the education and the wherewithal to make these decisions. I think what's happened is that they've, they simply, you know, independence uh, was gained in many of these countries 
but what happened is they just simply adopted in the modern era, as it were, uh, as it is, uh, the same colonial systems of government and management. And Africa is continuously going through this growing pains uh, scenario of um, of trying to uh, adjust to the to the, the realities of modernity, and all that's happened is you've adopted these colonial systems, which were designed to subjugate the majority. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quote actually from uh, Joshua Nkomo, who was one of our uh, liberation struggle heroes in Zimbabwe. Uh, he says, "The hardest lesson of my life has come to me late. It is that a nation can win freedom without its people becoming free." So. You know, in a way, we can read this as as what happened is that after Zimbabwe gained independence and it was under the uh, now the rule of Robert Mugabe's uh, uh, clique, uh, was that the majority actually did not gain a true independence. Effectively, the liberation struggle has never ended because it is still about inequality. It is still about the black man being disenfranchised within his own environment and his own cultural heritage and everything completely swept under the carpet and treated as if it doesn't exist. And so. Uh, with that going on, I can't see any. There's no way of any progress going to be happening. So, I mean, these are, I mean, very um, exotic political things uh, to be discussing. I know that there are guys who do. And I mean, the one saving grace about Zimbabwe is that we have a political elite who are intellectually well endowed and who do will actually sit around and discuss how to make a new uh, version, a democratic form of of government that fits into modernity being completely cognizant of the realities of the modern world and so, what the so the west uh, especially uh, um, you know, china has its own way of dealing with things but the west in particular has to realign its mentality on how to engage uh, productively uh, with, with 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 african governance and an african governance has to address these kind of imbalances from the past. It's not like Mugabe, whenever he makes these statements and stuff, is, is, uh, is saying, uh, is picking on irrelevant topics. He's absolutely picking on relevant topics. Unfortunately, he contorts them and twists them for his own personal gain and then proceeds to terrorize and murder the populace. So, you know, it's not like uh, it works Mugabe's way. So but, it's, it's sort of kind of like maintaining this romanticized fant- fantasy bubble of what Africa is in the Western mind. Uh, Kenya, Maasai, dressed in their shukas, yeah. standing on with their sticks and looking over their cattle of this pastoral and pristine land, or Zimbabwean Absolutely. people um, happily going about creating the breadbasket of Africa. And that, yeah. you know, Western visitors and tourism goes on safari 10 days, two weeks, and mm. floats along the surface without ever really getting involved because nobody really wants to talk about it. Um, of the deeper concerns. All the people that are working at these lodges, the Zimbabweans and the, the tourists, they don't mix. They they mix in terms of obsequiousness oh, yeah. and uh, servitude, but they don't often mix in terms of intellectual conversation. Yeah. It's been designed that way. It's a, left, it's a, it's a hangover from the colonial era. That's why there's a separation in this gulf, and which is very unfortunate because in, in Zimbabwean, uh, terms, the various uh, tribal groups are there all have their own unique form of of hospitality. Nothing's been done to actually integrate traditional African values and hospitality methods into the hospitality business. And so therefore, it's still this kind of, uh, you know, 1914 view of out of Africa and I had a fucking farm at the foot of the Ngong Hills and this sort of bullshit. It's not what real Africa is really all about. 
So, you know, the traveler to Africa really should get in on the ground ground roots and, you know, really get to meet the African people. African culture and history, especially in Zimbabwe, is unbelievably rich and diverse, but it was suppressed in the previous colonial era because, one thing, no one wants to believe that the people they're suppressing has any kind of civilization whatsoever. The biggest mistake that the Rhodesians ever made was the belief, the misguided belief that they were somehow civilizing the local people. They were not civilizing. They had their own civilization in place, but it was a preconceived notion of what civilization constituted to be as. And, right. and, and therefore, here we are. And, and, and there's an excellent book called, um, oh, oh, goodness, I can't remember it, um, about um, Belgium and uh, the rubber exports in yes, Co- yeah, Congo, right. and that yeah. we continue to support all of that until the... I think as late as 1969, all because of this one, you know, insane king. And mm. um, we have a tendency to think, as you just said, that nothing has changed, that independence has happened, so everything is fine and dandy and in happy land over there. But honestly, it hasn't really changed a thing in terms of uh, who, oh, who has power. It, 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 it translated sort of into progress equals power and possession versus yep. progress equal equaling move, movement forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the apps, the, the one of the biggest travesties of, of justice that has happened over this last 30 plus years in Zimbabwe, and this is mind bogglingly bad, is that the actual living standards and conditions of the average rural African person living out in the bush has actually depreciated from the time of the Rhodesians being in place. The Rhodesians, the white minority rule of Rhodesia, actually had a higher standard of living for the average African person living out in the bush. You can still find African people who lament bizarrely that Rhodesia was better. Ian Smith was better. Wow. Talk about (laughs) the good old days, huh? Well, I mean, what, a, what, a, what, a, what an indictment of failure on Robert Mugabe's own PF, and that is, and that is the, the, the reality. And, I mean, further indictment is the fact that up to 40% of the population is now displaced living in countries all over the world, escaping the marvelous rule of PF. <laughs> this is just astonishing. It leaves me speechless half the time. So um, I want to lead into a question, um, since we're talking about tourism and the disenfranchisement of the local people, do Zimbabwe tourism operator businesses, do they actually end up providing Mugabe's with regime with propaganda in this sense? Yes, I mean, uh, perhaps inadvertently, and because they have to look after their own uh, self-interest, I mean, they're in business at the end of the day, and so it's understandable, and, and their job is to promote their businesses and Zimbabwe so that they can promote tourists to come to the country. So therefore, they'll go on on uh, roadshow trips to travel fairs, and they'll produce nice, fancy videos and, and all that kind of thing, and that's all well and good, because you expect them to do that. And even the devil from upon high in the president's office is telling them that they should do that and to not pay attention to the baby elephant uh, pillaging that's going on, the asset stripping of Wangi. And so the tourism operators, and they have their own little uh, conduits, their own little tap dancing, little sniveling shits that sort of go between the president's office and the rest of the tourism operators there. And they sort of say, whoa, boys. Leave this one alone. We've been told to do this. And, you know, if one guy has $200 million worth of tourism business at stake, he's going to turn around and say, well, shit, I'm not going to worry about the baby elephants. But, hey, I looked, I put $100,000 into anti-poaching in my own uh, area. And so they're doing something at least. So they're in this very peculiar, it's also unfair to possibly uh, place the entire future of Zimbabwean um, representation onto the shoulders of the tour operators. But they are, by effect, 
I think it is a question of timing. At this particular juncture, uh, Robert Mugabe is literally going to peg it any day now. Uh, there will be a bun fight for who's going to be uh, taking charge, and we, we, we all don't look forward to which way that can all go. God hopes it's a peaceful way, but etc. But yes, in essence, what's going on when uh, when these operators are running around the world saying, "Look at Zimbabwe, what a wonderful place! Look at the great sunsets! Look at the great Victoria Falls! Look at the wildlife!" No one's actually bringing to the attention the fact that this is a, a rogue terrorist dictatorship and an international security threat, which has been present in the, in the international community for the last 25 years and has sided with every single nutcase that you can imagine, and or that it, that uh, random arrest and detention still persists today, that disappearances still persist up until the current day, uh, that thousands and thousands more black Zimbabweans have died since independence as a result directly of political violence and upheaval than did during the, the pr- prior hundred years of, of two civil wars <laughs> and everything else that took place, including colonialism. So uh, the, the actual human rights abuses and excesses of the Robert Mugabe regime are of such a level which are mind-boggling. It is true evil. So none of the tour operators that are going around the world trying to sell a nice trip to Victoria Falls are saying, oh, you know, here we know of a case of some old woman who got abducted from a village and had a vagina hacked out and then eaten by people in some sort of weird ceremonial thing as a form of induction into the green bombers or whatever. These sort of cases are reported and they're actually there. Zimbabwe is in desperate need of a... Truth and Reconciliation Commission, when the dust settles and the new Zimbabwe comes into play, because of these unbelievable excesses and atrocities that have taken place, ranging right back to the farm invasions, where we even have recorded cases of, of people, one of the farmers that got shot at point blank rage with a shotgun, his blood was, con- was collected and mixed with uh, local beer and drunk by his murderers. This kind of savage barbarism has taken place and is persisting and continues to the present day. So I don't know how the Zimbabwean tour operator wants to reconcile in his own mind about, hey, come look at the sunsets, whilst people are being gang raped and butchered in the countryside and chased by militias. And that is the reality. So I suppose to every tourist that wants to come to Zimbabwe, they won't have to look to the the reality of no matter how well-meaning they are, all that they want to keep on employing the poor people employed in in the tourism industry and therefore they're promoting, you know, supporting that. But that money does eventually actually go to the back pockets of the terrorists who are hijacking the country. And the country at the moment is, uh, without a doubt, in crisis. And in fact, I can give you a a direct quote uh, from the Movement for Democratic Change, which I've had communication with today. And uh, basically, a lot of these issues, including the the, the pillaging of Zimbabwe's wildlife, uh, are, are resultant as a result of the overarching policies and disasters of this uh, illegitimate government. It's it's a crisis of legitimacy that is currently taking place. We can call the government of Zimbabwe illegitimate quite rightly because it can be proven that every single election that has taken place over the last years and years and years has been fraudulently manipulated and stolen. So this is the reason why the international community and the government of the United States and Great Britain and the European Union has sanctions on the government of Zimbabwe, specifically the 113 stipulated persons within that government, because of the suppression of the democratic process, which is absolutely essential. So can we talk a minute here that there, there is opposition? 
there are oh, yeah. there are opponents to Mugabe's regime. Can we talk a little bit about these two movements? There's actually a few movements, um, but the two main movements at the moment uh, to keep your eye on are the People's First Movement, which uh, is headed up by the ousted uh, ex-vice president of uh, Zimbabwe, Joyce Majuru, and um, and that is possibly a good um, a good halfway point for anyone with brains who's left in ZANU-PF can jump ship now whilst they'll still have a chance and uh, maybe have a future, is to realize that ZANU-PF, its days are numbered. It it can be measured in months now, not in years. And uh, so, you know, People's First is a a movement which offers the the more rational-minded, true patriotic Zimbabwean an opportunity to jump ship and to progress forward. Uh, The Movement for Democratic Change as well. Morgan Sangarai's movement for democratic change, as well as a main a main group with a massive support base throughout the country, and um, you know it's it's hard to sort of speculate at this particular juncture whether there will be uh, any sort of uh, collusion between the two parties or a coalition formation at the end of the day because things are, are now snowballing. Things are getting up until this last week. Uh, I would say that the uh, the political environment. Uh, could be categorized as being one in stasis, uh, sort of a bit of fluctuation. No one's really knowing what to do. There's no enough co- uh, cohesion about what's going on. But in this last week, that's all changed. The starter gun has been fired. Uh, we have now a clear set destination towards a transition of some form or another, hopefully through normal democratic process. If, if anyone in ZANU-PF had a bone of decency left in them, they would call for an early election and step down from power and allow the country to progress normally. It's ridiculous to have a 94-year-old geriatric dictator uh, ruining the, the, the lives of 8 million people. And, and, and to the tourism operators of Zimbabwe, they must simply remember this. Democracy comes first. Tourism and happy holidays and hunting and shit like that comes second. So that is where we're at. So how do we tell people who want to visit uh, Zimbabwe to go visit and be able to seek out some truth here. Well, first of all, it's, it's quite dodgy to be going around and trying to seek out truth. It depends on, on what degree. But talk to the people directly. Uh, you know, I mean, you can still visit Zimbabwe. I would say that it can be a bit dodgy. Uh, you know, even in the tourist town of Victoria Falls, if you're not careful with what you say to who you ask questions, you may find yourself in hot water. Um, whether or not it's down to the person's individual conscience of whether they want to support a terrorist dictator uh, by inadvertently putting money in his back pocket. And basically by going into Zimbabwe, it is down to the individual to make that decision. Yes, the tourism operators need to employ the people that, that they employ, but really for the foreseeable future, until a legitimate government does come into power in Zimbabwe, the tour operators and everyone else are just going to have to button down their hatches and see out the ride. Uh, because to carry on with the idea of just uh, randomly carrying on getting money into the country and keep on propping up the regime, you know, th- there's a very fine line between being uh, making a plan in Zimbabwe and now being categorized as a Vichy French-style Nazi collaborator that's propping up the regime. You know, which w- w- are you actually Zimbabweans who are, have the will of the majority and democracy at heart, or are you just money-worshipping idiots who don't give a shit? And that's the bottom line. It's, it reminds me of the days uh, in Kenya under uh, President Moy, who was the dictator, so to speak, for 30 years. Yep. And when I first started going to Kenya, 
no one would talk politics. You you wouldn't even whisper this. If a tourist or a visitor wanted to talk openly under the guise of free speech that we know it as in the Western world um, and bring it up with anybody local, uh, people would run. They'd say, shh, they'd, they'd turn their heads away and say, you know, don't talk because you could be disappeared easily. And That's from exactly our, our previous conversation, that is going on in Zimbabwe now. So, yes, it is dodgy to go there, but that doesn't mean don't go or does it mean boycott Zimbabwe? It is down to the individual to make up their own personal choice. I mean, at the moment, there is no formal boycott in place. Uh, although I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, I mean, I, I, it depends on how uh, how volatile the situation goes over the next eighteen months. So I wouldn't rule out the chances of a formal boycott taking place because, at the end of the day, democracy comes first and happy holidays come second, and that's just the reality in hand. So previously, on when we talked in the two episodes that we did before. Um, there's, we're at a tip, Zimbabwe is at a tipping point. So we, the world, um, people who are interested in wildlife and in what happens in Zimbabwe and uh, politics and policy here in the West, we're at a tipping point of making a change. So, um, I just lost my thread and, um, I hate that when that happens, but what you're talking about is that, um, we have to make a difference and we have to get involved. So if you want to boycott Zimbabwe, fine, don't go. But if you do go, then go on with the understanding that uh, you can make a difference in some places and uh, go around seeking for the truth and get involved with local yes, people. Yes, look, you can. I mean, if you absolutely do your research beforehand, you can go there and make a good, solid, positive difference, especially if you go and help out one of the groups that is involved in conservation and, uh, and assisting and paying towards anti-poaching units. Uh, yes, but I would advise this, that anyone going to Zimbabwe should be careful about where their money goes. Ultimately, all of the money will go towards propping up the regime, so we're at that sticky uh, t- tipping point. And so one has to decide what are they going to do. Uh, I mean, I know what I'm saying now is going to be uh, apocryphal to most of the uh, tour operators. They're going to be be sitting there thinking, oh, shut up, man, for fuck's sakes, don't say this. Well, you know, the truth is here, boys. Uh, We're now at the tipping point. Uh, Bob's about to park or uh, die, really. Uh, The woman who would be queen takeover cannot be allowed to do so. The country is in a mess, uh, as simple as that. So, you know, it comes down, listeners, to the point of which we've covered a lot on this program. Conservation is a long-term process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't see an immediate investment, uh, a return on your investment, but you do have to get involved. And that with conservation and what Nick had just said, that if we don't stand up and start to speak on record of what's going on, then the problem will just continue to persist and get worse. And the end result is we lose the wildlife and we lose the ecosystems that support it. And we lose about 8 million people that live in Zimbabwe. So um, right now we're at a point where we kind of need to take a break. But as you can tell, this is a very invigorating conversation. So stick with us with my guest, Nick Lynch, and we'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. 
our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, with my guest, Nick Lynch. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Our Wild World on Facebook, Wild Eyes Foundation. And you can follow Nick Lynch and uh, read some of his writings, of which uh, a lot of this program today is um, taking from and going further, as you can tell. And uh, from our guest last week with Johnny Rodriguez and the uh, Zimbabwe Conservation Task Force. Uh, These are some of the organizations that you can donate to, that you can go to, to find uh, good resources and uh, ecotourism resources that are helping the country rather than hushing up or covering up issues and and putting um, safari first rather than democracy first. So, Nick, um, following on the heels of the conversation with Johnny, there's this uh, $2.3 million dollars that uh, China and Zimbabwe in a deal and the export of these baby elephants that supposedly this money came in to help conservation and as Johnny and I talked about it went to buying equipment and uh, road equipment and uh, to to build infrastructure for the national parks and for the conservation of wildlife but Mm -hmm. it ended up not really going there because nothing has changed. The roads aren't any better. Wildlife is still being taken from Huangi. And as we've just been talking about for the first half of the show, it's not getting better in Zimbabwe. So what is your opinion around the transparency of this export in live wildlife to China? I think that the the idea of it being in any way at all transparent is laughable. Um, and there are so many different ways to branch off on it in, in conversation. I mean, for the start... Uh, CITES uh, to for CITES to actually ha- continue and to have even bothered to certify this transaction as being legitimate is foolish in the extreme. Uh, but I'll get back to them in in, in in due course. I mean, even your own government. Uh, we had recently 
uh, comments by the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, Sally Jewell, remarking that Zimbabwe has not got a program to our satisfaction that addresses these issues pertaining to sustainability, whereas Nam Namibia does. Uh, and, you know, that boils down to... Other issues, for instance, why the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service put in place the elephant trophy importation uh, ban on Zimbabwe because it had legitimate uh, queries about elephant conservation and how that would be managed in Zimbabwe, including the transparency of the money. Now, where the money goes, as what uh, Johnny Rodriguez uh, was saying, basically 97% of the money disappears into thin, shiny suits and Mercedes Benzes and goes directly into the pockets of the people that are actually on the U.S. sanctions list, which means that the trophy hunters and people who are going to Zimbabwe and, and, and participating in this activity, perhaps inadvertently and probably do not realize, but they're actually participating in, in directly in sanctions busting and breaking the law. So the transparency is completely there isn't any. The original reasons offered by the Zimbabwean National Parks and Wildlife Management Authority for conducting this uh, outrageous affair uh, were a long list of bullshit, including primarily at the, at the forefront of it was uh, we, we're doing this to fund because we're running out of money. We don't have enough money to look after Wangi. And so I know that myself and other people who originally started campaigning this looked at it and said, well, well okay, we have to try and arrange alternative finance for, for Zimbabwe National Parks. And for God's sake, stop this craziness. And all you're doing is damaging the tourism industry. And, you know, don't do this wild capture of, uh, of lions and elephants and all this nonsense to go to China. Um, what was going on in reality was that this was a, a form of sanctions busting uh, for the Mugabe regime, very deliberately uh, orchestrated, the architecture for which would have been put together by the Zimbabwean Central Intelligence Organization under the auspices of Xavier Kasakaweri, who repeatedly referred uh, to the, um, uh, the elephant uh, situation. And when we were in discussions with him, he kept on saying, you must get the Americans and uh, everyone to lift the sanctions, keep on lifting the sanctions. And when I, when I first heard this, I thought to myself, well, that's a bit bloody unreasonable. I and mean, you can't expect us to start intervening in international affairs. We just want you to leave the elephants alone. But what he was talking about was that they were viewing the, uh, the ban of uh, elephant trophy importation into the United States as a sanctions on them. The reason being because he knew full well, because the fact is, a lot of these concessions and these properties in which the animals are hunted are controlled directly by people on the U.S. sanctions list. Now, the amount of questions that come out of that whole situation are vast. One is the professional hunters, so-called, uh, on, on the Zimbabwean side, who are complicit in operating with the property management of breaking international law. The outfitters who are organizing the hunters to go to Zimbabwe to hunt these animals on these concessions are most certainly breaking international law and sanctions. The actual trophy hunters who are possibly, and by the most part, I would imagine completely ignorant of all of this stuff, but they themselves have also uh, broken U.S. sanctions law. And this is what I think what's happened is that you've got your uh, U.S. Uh, Secretary of the Interior, Sally Jewell, cognizant of the fact that this is actually been going on, including your State Department, and wondering how the hell they're meant to manage it, and possibly worried about um, fanning uh, a politically unstable situation on the ground in Zimbabwe, whereby Mugabe may just sort of uh, start another round of land invasions and taking over. He's going to do that shit anyway. Uh, we're, we're here now. 
He has no intention of, of relinquishing this idea. The idea is, it, it, you know, it is, it is shopped, it is sold publicly in the propaganda machinery of the Mugabe regime as a black economic empowerment and indigenization. It is nothing of the sort. What it is actually is ZANU-PFRization of the economy. This is whereby he takes over the businesses and dishes it out to his cronies, as he, done, as he did with the farms as well. So, it, once again, taking a legitimate... It sounds like when uh, we had uh, George W. Bush in... Uh, the president's office here, and the Clean Air Act, and the No Child Left Behind Act, and the Blue Skies Act. They all sound really good, but if you read the fine print, it's exactly the opposite of what that title says. So we were talking about CITES, so I'd like to give our listeners a link here, and it is www.cites.org slash eng slash zw underscore elephants. And if you go to this link, you will find uh, the two different letters that uh, the Secretariat of uh, CITES, John Scanlon, wrote for the public consumption about this trade and export in live baby elephants, of which we've spoke several times. Nick has mentioned here, Johnny Rodriguez, uh, we had several episodes about the export of live baby elephants being captured in the wild, taken from their mothers, put into a secret in Boma, and then shipped off under very murky circumstances to China. And with our uh, episode with Tim Gorski, we now see that Chimlong, where these elephants went, is uh, doing a TV series with quote-unquote celebrities. For like 10 weeks, they go in and they come out, and it's a definite loss in translation. They come out as qualified breeders, where I think they mean to say keepers or caretakers, the loss in translation is critical because breeding is what uh, it translated to, and there is a huge backlash in China against this TV series called Wonderful Friends, and this TV series is taking place at Chimlong Safari Park. So go to this link, org slash eng slash zw underscore elephants and you'll see trade in live elephants from zimbabwe public statement of the cites secretariat so nick let's get mm. back to the cites and mm. um this uh transparency which mm. is basically a whole lot of wordsmithing uh mm. that sounds great on paper but really doesn't fly and is in literal fact not what is happening on the ground so, um, well, there's two I, I letters what, from Scanlon. I, so, I let, let's I, talk I, I about think, this. Well, I'll tell you what. From, from uh, John Scanlon's interview with, um, uh, with National Geographic, uh, I think he's actually uh, quoted as saying uh, something along the lines of, you know, the, um, it's on, these, on the shoulders of the country uh, to make sure that the, the law is being done and everything else. It, it, actually, I've got, the, I've got the thing here. John Scanlon says, there is no authority under the convention and international law to stop this trade. The rules put in place by the parties under the convention provide that the Zimbabwe population of African elephants are under Appendix 2, can be traded, etc. And then he goes on further to say... Um, if there's a failure to comply with national legislation, you have the remedies at national level in national courts, which is ridiculous. It's like asking the corrupt he's, to, he's, to police themselves. Exactly. He's pushing it off and saying, not it's my problem, nonsense. not it's my job. Nonsense. 
And then he says, uh, and then he says, you can challenge national decisions as to whether they've followed their right procedures or implemented their obligations. This depends on the country's constitutional system. Well, Mr. Scanlon, let me inform you about Zimbabwe's constitutional system. In fact, the law has been flouted on numerous levels. Uh, everything from uh, uh, incoherent uh, paperwork and question marks about missing money through to uh, stopping um, uh, the uh, in- inspectors, uh, wild animal welfare inspectors, from being able to go and physically view uh, the animals. This is against the law. Uh, it is also against Zimbabwe's constitution that Zimbabwe's first lady should be able to hijack the uh, National Parks and Wildlife Management Authority because in, in no place in the Zimbabwean constitution does it say that Grace Mugabe can just walk in there and use her cherry-picked gang of CIO goons, coordinated by Savia Kasakariri, to stand over the shoulder of every single decision-maker inside the department to make sure that her personal business interests are, are complied with or that this ridiculous export goes forward. That is against the law. So at every point in time, we have a complete dereliction of, of, of abidance by Zimbabwean law. So according to that, Mr. Scanlon should immediately put a halt on this thing. But wait, there's more. Because the problem here is that this deal has so much murkiness revolving around it at every point of the compass that it is astounding that societies should be so stupid as to actually entertain the notion. Either, either its agents and consultants are so good at bullshitting that they have managed to completely subvert the CITES system, or there is a serious lack of management going on at the CITES Secretariat in Geneva. That's what's going, that's what it means. There's been no due diligence that's been put into place. It's made CITES look stupid. My, my own personal recommendation to any new dispensation that takes hold in Zimbabwe, regardless of the combination of uh, which parties form a coalition or whatever it is, the first legitimate government that comes into Zimbabwe, my recommendation is that Zimbabwe retracts its membership from CITES altogether, denounces the treaty, and forms up its own trade body under the auspices of the African Union. The reason is because CITES so far looks like it's actually on the side of subverting democracy in the country. Uh, it is actually looking like it is actually working against the will of, the, of democracy in the people of Zimbabwe. And I've just found a quote here, or a part, uh, from a National Geographic uh, article, and it's online, uh, news, nationalgeographic.com, CITES, Scanlon, Zimbabwe, Elephants, China. Those are the keyword search. And here it is, speaking from his home in Geneva, the headquarters of CITES, Scanlon explained that his priorities are to represent the convention globally, to enhance the depth and breadth of partner agencies such as Interpol that help implement CITES policies and to effectively manage the secretariat itself. So right right. there in a couple of, in one long run-on sentence, Mm. there's a conflict of interest. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, this particular deal that we're talking about, the, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put aside here uh, my own personal and everyone else's uh, you know, obvious thing of like, it's wrong, just leave the baby elephants alone for crying out loud. But putting aside one's own moral, sentimental aspects and simply looking at this as a business transaction. Now, one of the things I've used to, I used to have to do was due diligence on business transactions and proposals that used to come to banks in Zimbabwe and also to foreign direct investors. And if I had to look at this deal, and I had to look at the characters involved in this play, including the Chinese nationals, including the Zimbabwean registered private limited company, including 
uh, their own backgrounds, including the dodgy finances, including the questionable paperwork, including every single aspect of this deal. Now, you see, this is a effectively, this is a straightforward export business. So these guys, any one of them, should be able to come to a bank and say, hey, we want working capital because we want to buy vehicles or whatever it is and tied us over to pay wages. Uh, we've got a guaranteed payment from Chime Long Safari Park in China. Uh, can you help us out? Normally, a bank would turn around and say, shit, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We'll make money out of that. We'll lend you the money. No bank in their right mind would absolutely lend or give a facility to these people. Why? Because it is absolutely murky at every point of the compass. The people involved in this thing have been allegedly associated to organized crime. So far, two separate lots of organized crime. Not just one. I mean, there are insinuations that there's organized crime involvement from Asia and organized crime involvement from Europe. If nothing else, this thing is sizing up to be some sort of massive weird money laundering project. And, and, and basically, we were at the very beginning of this stuff, uh, you know, we had animal rights activists saying this is the, the wildlife crime of the century. And I thought to myself, well, that's quite a nice pundit thing to do. Yes, it's true. I mean, I was calling it, and I still do call it the uh, Zimbabwe wildlife export crisis. And, and it's a fair way to commentary on it. But this whole thing of calling it the wildlife crime of the century seemed like a pretty big way of describing it. Let me tell you what. I'm now saying that it is quite likely to be the biggest wildlife crime of the century. This whole thing has got more stench around it than is imaginable. Every single aspect of this whole transaction needs to be thoroughly gone through with a fine-tooth comb by Interpol and by Western security agencies because it is exactly what it looks like. We have complete inappropriate behavior going on all over the scheme on this thing. It is quite likely to have been orchestrated and architecturally designed by the Central Intelligence Organization under Xavier uh, Kasakoweri. I say likely because obviously it's an allegation, but the Zimbabwean Central Intelligence Organization has uh, its history uh, uh, anchored in sanctions busting from the Rhodesian era. We're extremely proficient at sanctions busting. We have an entire department registered to it. I know the woman uh, in Zimbabwe who used to do it for the Rhodesians. We used to be able to sell bales of tobacco to Amsterdam with Venezuela export stamps. The Rhodesian CIO had gone to, to Venezuela, acquired the correct paperwork and everything else, so that bales of tobacco would arrive in Amsterdam and the, the, the authorities would be like, well, this is tobacco that's arrived from Venezuela. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's mind-boggling. It really is. And oh, well, we did a, a program with Jane High who yeah. um, managed to you know, speak with these ministers and mm. see these export permits as well as Johnny Rodriguez and um, – to see how fraudulent they are. There is yeah. no transparency. There is no uh, uh, documentation. There is nothing to support this uh, deal and this exchange of big money. Uh, what I would suggest at this particular moment in time is that CITES has been deliberately and successfully manipulated by the Central Intelligence Organization, Xavier Kasakoweri, and the illegitimate regime of Robert Mugabe as a deliberate ploy of sanctions busting as a deliberate system, which they would have viewed as a legitimate uh, political thing to do. And, uh, and what's happened is that they've inadvertently provided a smokescreen uh, for unbelievable chaos and mayhem. CITES should immediately retract what it's done. 
should put a stop to it immediately. Western security agencies should be doing the same. The United States government should be pulling strings as well. How the hell did CITES decide that this was a reasonable idea when the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service had put in place a trophy ban on Zimbabwean elephants? So it's like CITES sort of said, yeah, no worries, we'll give you, we'll stamp that. No worries. Here you go, export, capture the baby elephants and send them to China. No problem. But but what about the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service? They just told everyone that Zimbabwe is not actually managing elephant conservation properly in its own backyard. Oh, well, well who cares? We'll just stamp this piece of paper anyway. Well, that kind of leaves out the whole Asian-China side of things because China is, is um, in bed, so to speak, with Zimbabwe's government. And there's this big deal going on. And I think, as you uh. said previously... Uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife for the United States getting involved at this point. They want Africa to solve it. They see it as an African problem. Mm. And that if they do get involved in more sanctions or um, busting CITES and doing their due diligence, then they've, they're opening a Pandora's box uh, for themselves. And maybe they don't want to do that. Oh, well, bad luck. The Pandora's box has already been opened. Ah. Now is the time to actually be stand firm on your guns. You cannot put in place these stupid sanctions laws and everything else if you're not actually going to enforce them. Correct. What, what the West should do is absolutely be saying, right, bang, this is enough. They should be reading it very much more clearly. The opposition movements in Zimbabwe, both groups, of both major groups, will absolutely welcome assertive and firm and correct execution of these issues. It so has to be done. It goes back to people standing up and going on the record, like we are here today, and saying what needs to be said instead of hiding behind um, private interests. So, um, speaking of absolutely, speaking I mean, of business have- interests, um, yep. we talked a little bit um, the, the the business actions of anti poaching, without being unfair to the hunters that are honest and professional and the tour yes, operators that do, are honest actually, and professional in actually, Zimbabwe sorry, and elsewhere. Sorry to interrupt. So to, I'm glad you brought up that point because it's so easy to actually, uh, you know, hammer in on this whole thing, especially in this era of anti-hunting and everything else. And I am not pro-hunting either. But it must be absolutely pointed out that although Zimbabwe's professional hunting industry is riddled with shysters and opportunists and, and treasonous ones at that, it does not mean that there are not guys in there who are actually law-abiding, good, patriotic Zimbabweans. I mean, I happen to know of a few who have put their life on the line for Zimbabwean democracy and have absolutely done a lot. I have respect for them, even though I personally might disagree with their own objectives as with regards to hunting. No, 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 no. There are definitely a, f- a handful, but it's almost like a handful of golden eggs that are floating around in a, in a toilet bowl full of turds. Look, you know, we have to sort out this mess. And, and that's the, the way forward. Sorry, carry on, Ellie. I just have to. <laughs> I love you, Nick. Um, <laughs> so we were talking a little bit about the business of anti-poaching, which um, if with my guest, Damien Mander, good friend, and, yep. you know, what, what he's doing, boots on the ground, is stopping yep. the hemorrhaging. But yep. it's, and he calls it the war on wildlife. And yep. you made an, an interesting statement while we were talking just before we started recording that mm. a war is usually considered between two states or nations. And yep. um, that this war on wildlife is not 
between two states. It's between people and nature. And it is the emergency triage of a hemorrhaging situation where a system has failed. Yeah. And that your response to this failure of the system is that what has to happen is a poverty alle- alleviation tactics yeah. and address yeah. that through democracy and Equally. the people of Zimbabwe and yeah. also address, which a lot of people don't want to think about, the bushmeat trade. And we'll have yeah. coming yeah. up a whole episode on the bushmeat <clears throat> trade. It's not just about, you know, a simple poacher going and killing an elephant. What we're talking about here is large-scale, multinational, lack of transparency, backdoor dealing, and being um, said it's okay by the international organizations and treaties that are supposed to protect and and oversee all of this. It's not happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, I think the thing with the you know it's 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 a very easy. Uh, to pay attention to uh, the, uh, the anti-poaching situation is necessary. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a credit to the, to the brave souls like Damien Mando and also people like Rory Young. Now, Rory Young will actually tell you as well that, you know, it's incorrect to refer to it as a war because a war is only two states fighting each other. Uh, but we pay attention to this because of the gory pictures of, of elephants and, and uh, rhinos being slayed. Of course, something like 80% of, uh, of poaching in Africa is about the bushmeat trade. And these problems, all of them, really stem down to inequality and not, uh, you know, poverty alleviation. The two are ex- inexorably linked. The fate of the animals and the people are inexorably linked. So I would say to the audience that in as much as you pay attention to anti-poaching, and that is essential and it's good that you should do so, and I think fully fund people and donate to people like Damien Manda and to Rory Young, 100%, and, and others, of course, who are doing the thing. But they are, you, if you're going to do that, you also have to say, well, how are the lives of these rural poor people also being improved? So if it's either through projects like Komako in Zambia, which uh, promotes anti-poaching through, uh, you know, getting the locals to learn how to farm better and everything else in the hand and their weapons, this is a good system. And or whether it be uh, the, um, uh, uh, what's it called, the, the foundation in Tanzania there. You know, there's another group there that does the same sort of thing. Very good. Honey Guide Foundation. Excellent. Right. This is about interacting with the local people and helping them find a way forward. These people are destitute. They're living in absolute poverty in world terms. You know, if somebody is getting, their average income is $100 a year or something stupid like this, and somebody, some uh, some expat Chinese guy working on the local optic fiber line coming along says, I'll pay you $10,000 if you get me a couple of, of elephant tusks. Well, that's like $5 million to you or me. You know, that's somebody, you know, you're going to make a plan. You'll risk your life. People don't realize that these poachers are actually risking their lives. They're prepared to throw away their actual life to go into a dangerous game area and get shot by armed people. Anti-poaching is about law enforcement. It is about law enforcement. This is not a war. It is about law enforcement. And you can call it a war, but it's actually a wrong terminology. It is about law enforcement. That is what I, Daniel I think we get. I think we get confused. <coughs> And in terms of calling it a war, it's because of the militarization sure. that is going on in anti-poaching units. But the world has shifted. You know, the old, the the ranger of old, walking around unarmed or armed insufficiently, without the ability to understand the crime 
that is taking place on such a huge scale that is outmoded and outdated. So we have to sort of meet fire with fire or match fire with fire. Uh, uh, Absolutely. I mean, there's a a just cause and there's a reason that everyone is after the teeth and running around doing this. It's bloody dangerous. But it it is the emergency triage of a situation gone wrong. When you've got down to the point where you're running around in the bush killing people, it is because things have really, really failed. It is the last resort. What you have to look at is as equally important as poverty alleviation, rural development, and empowering the poor people living in these areas who are literally destitute. They are living there, scratching a living out of the dust under a tree, and, and they have no way of moving forward in life. If things are going to be like that, I mean, one of the reasons Sally Jewell um, made her comments was because you know, about uh, that Zimbabwe has not got a proper program in place to their satisfaction that addresses these things is because it's important that resources get to the people where the animals are are hunted or utilized in any way. Well, that is not happening. So the economic modeling is completely failed because the money disappears into corruption. So that all has to be changed. And you have to look at proper rural development, proper poverty alleviation, and making people have a reason to go forward and live. Well, now you and have, it, it ends up in, in you know, pr- prioritizing that the most needed resource in Africa is the human resource, and it's also the most wasted resource. And oh, it's an that abuse. No alternative is provided to make a living that is on the scale of what anybody would call sufficient to live by then, as you said, we are seriously going down the tubes. And what's unfortunate and really too bad is we are out of time today. So, um, Thank you very much for your time. Thank uh, you. This has been an enlivening and I hope highly educative for our listeners. And once again, everything in this program that we've talked about is open resource on the web. You can find it. You need to do your due diligence. You need to investigate and you need to do... um, your own background so if you're going to visit Zimbabwe go there's wildlife there still but do your due diligence and work toward the side of conservation and pay attention and keep listening to here at Our Wild World and we'll keep you up to date so thank you Nick thank you very much Ellie and uh, that's it for Our Wild World thank you again for joining us this week Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.